Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Tiffany Montez, Principal Analyst of Insider Intelligence. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. It was great to see you in the spring, and thank you for inviting me to be a guest on the show today. Yeah, no, I wanted to follow up on the conversation that we kind of started at Finnovate Spring. But before we jump into that piece, can you start by just giving us some background on yourself and where you're coming from in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a principal analyst at Insider Intelligence leading our banking vertical. For those of you that aren't familiar with who Insider Intelligence is, we are a trusted resource for digital transformation intelligence. And so really, our team has deep experience um, that allows us to deliver relevant and timely analysis across four key coverage areas. And those areas are financial services, marketing and advertising, telecom and technology, and digital health. Um, I've been with Insider Intelligence close to a year. Before that, I was the strategic advisor at IT Navarica, covering really anything related to digital experience. And then before my time at uh, IT Navarica, I was the head of operations at Terrafina, um, helping customers, our clients launch account opening solutions. And then before my time at Terrafina, I was an analyst at Forrester Research for a few years, again, covering a variety of topics that fall under the digital banking umbrella. And then before my time at Forrester, I was with Wells Fargo for 20 years. I won't bore you with all the details of what I did there, um, but I'll focus on you know, the last 10 or so years of, of um, my time there. And that was really helping them build digital experiences for various product groups within that organization. No, that's excellent. I mean, I think the experience that you've got, the number of different viewpoints and angles uh, are really something that is very unique. And I think we got a little bit of that when you joined us at Finnovate Spring back there in San Francisco. Um, and, and there were two sessions that we had you talking about there, and thanks for, for your help with both of them. The first one was kind of about financial wellness and inclusion. And then the second one, you were on a panel talking about how banks can deliver on an outstanding customer experience. And I think given kind of what you just shared about your background, it's easy to see where both of those or how both of those topics became something that uh, you, you're very comfortable speaking on. What I want to talk about is something maybe even a little bit higher level than both of those. And that's just sort of this general concept of customer happiness. You know, how do we keep customers happy? I, I think this is a question which sounds really simple, but is actually really complicated. And um, so so let's go ahead and break it down a little bit, because I think all these elements will play a factor there. Uh, let, let's start by just this kind of relatively simple question. What do you think are the key ingredients banks need to deliver to make their customers, quote unquote, happy? Yes, I think I'd start with really with three things. Um the first, which I, in my mind is the most important, is really about consumer trust. And so how do you safeguard consumer trust? We know that digital uh, trust is the confidence that consumers place in their bank's digital channels. And they have really a prime opportunity to build this up as a commodity. So we know over the last year, the largest U.S. banks have come to aid in a time of pandemic-related crisis. And customers have repaid that flexibility with greater trust in their primary financial institutions. And so really banks should um, look to position that strength to deepen customer relationships as you know the U.S. has 
we'll call it return to normal, but also uh, as we start to enter potentially a recession, um, safeguarding that trust becomes really important. I think the second thing really is about giving consumers the, the digital features or the experiences that we demand the most. And so when we think about experiences, you know, we know today that a, a mobile experience is critical for financial institutions, given their heavy reliance on the channel. So based on some research that we did towards the end of the year, we know that 87% of consumers in the United States um, that we surveyed said that mobile is their primary way to access um, their checking accounts. So really making uh, mobile the most impactful channel in a customer's banking relationship. So, you know, really oftentimes financial institutions think that the more features that you have equals a better experience. And what we know from our research is it's not about more features, it's about the sophistication of this feature. Does the feature provide unique customer value? So really focusing on the things that consumers want the most. The third thing um, I would say is really focusing on building empowering uh, financial experiences. And so in, you know, the May of this year, we know that the cost of living increased to its highest rate in more than 40 years, really eroding consumers' personal savings. And so according to the U.S. Department of Commerce, the personal savings rate, um, so personal savings as a percentage of disposable income, dropped to 5.2% in April. And that's the lowest it's been since October of 2019. And so we expect that financial institutions, in, you know, in this type of environment will start to lean much more heavily in delivering personal financial management tools. And we've seen, you know, firms like Bank of America uh, report that their digital financial wellness experiences through Life Plan has surpassed 6 million people as of 2000, or sorry, February of 2022. So we expect that banks um, will continue to build out money management insights um, and making them increasingly more predictive and, and actionable. And what I mean by predictive and actionable, really in its simplest terms, is how do you move a customer, how do you move from making a customer aware of their finances um, and be able to start to use uh, different features to begin to surface financial insight? And through that financial insight, how do you help consumers um, understand how their impact, their financial impact, excuse me, their financial behavior um, impacts their ability to meet their goal and then be able to deliver actionable advice that aligns with that? No, that's really interesting. I mean, that's a pretty comprehensive answer right there. And there are a couple different pieces that you touched on that we'll want to engage with. I think one of the big ones, obviously, is these kind of external factors that are coming in, you know, the cost of living increase, the idea that we're coming into a recession. Um, obviously, these are things which make consumers unhappy with their finances. We're in a moment right now where there are a lot of people, maybe more people than we've seen in quite some time, who are really in a, a position where they're kind of hurting a little bit, where maybe coming in and checking their bank account is not something which brings them joy. Um, and, and obviously, there's only so much that from a tech standpoint, uh, we can do to alleviate that. But at the same time, there are things that, that the industry can do to kind of help people still maintain a positive relationship with their organization, which you kind of talked about. I think trust is obviously a really crucial one. Um, let's talk about UX a little bit more, because I think it's clearly you know safe to say UX is really important in this area. Um, but I think a lot of times we think of it about from the standpoint of the elimination of pain points instead of something that, you know, quote unquote, surprises and delights to take a page out of the Starbucks employee manual that I read somewhere around 15 years ago. 
Um, how far do you think a good UX can take you uh, in this quest? I think a good UX can take you a long way. Um, but when I think of UX, you know, I, I think about it under a couple of different core principles in my mind that, you know, I think when we think about UX, oftentimes we look at it under the context of how you use technology. But to me, it's really more about the overarch experience, overarching experience that, that you build with your customer and how they interact with you. And so when you think about an overarching experience, uh, technology aside, what that really means is that you're demonstrating that you know who customers are, that you understand them, that you keep their best interest and society's best interest in mind, and that you're here to help them um, meet any of their financial goals. And so it's about doing all of those things, but it's also about proving all of those things to them in every interaction, every day. And so when we start to break that down, it really, you know, for most financial institutions will mean that they have to break their digital um, legacy mindset. So oftentimes UX is viewed in the context of taking technology and unfortunately, a lot of times that means taking that technology and replicating the same process that exists somewhere else. But really, a, a good UX is about getting down to understanding what a customer needs, um, the best and easiest way to deliver um, all of that using the principles that I mentioned earlier and delivering on an ex that experience in a transparent way. And so... If I give an example of sort of legacy mindset and conversations that I've had with clients over the years and them having trouble sort of breaking that mold of doing things the same way that they've always done that, you know, I'll give an example of, you know, when conversational banking um, started to take off and starting to talk to clients about the different use cases um, involved with that. You know, I, I recall having a conversation with a client where they wanted to use conversational banking in the application process. Or, or like we'll call it the um, the product discovery phase, and so the conversation was like, how do you use a chatbot to answer product related questions and then drive them to the best product? And as we had those conversations, it became pretty clear to me that they were taking conversational banking and sort of using it in the front loaded part of the process. But at a certain point, they started to pivot and just replicate everything that they were already doing um, in a digital channel meaning they wanted to use the chatbot to converse and ask questions about products. But then at the end, they wanted to send them to a product selector so that they could answer the same exact questions that they just answered in the chatbot. And so, you know, really a good UX, um, you know, outside of the principles that I outlined earlier, really becomes about how do you look at the same interactions that you've had with consumers in channels in the past and completely reinventing those in a way that make it seamless easier to use, um, actionable, and clearly demonstrate that the journey that you're taking consumers down is the right journey for them. Yeah, and I love the idea of kind of expanding what we consider UX because it really is this holistic day-in, day-out experience, not sort of a snapshot, not a one moment in time. I came into the app one time and did this thing and it was really pretty, which can be very important, of course. You want the app to be pretty, obviously, but it's really much more than that. It's about creating this deeper experience so that people have a good experience every time they come in. And, and I think your point also about making sure that we're actually looking at this, what can we bring to them that we couldn't do before, rather than just kind of taking what we've been doing, turning it digital and saying, hey, it's a brand new UX is, uh, you know, I think that's that's good as a first step, but it's clearly not where you need to be by the end. 
let's let's move on to the kind of second side of it, which um, was looking at you know guiding customers to long-term financial health. Obviously, that's a really difficult one. There's only so much that we can do. We don't have control over our users' behaviors in a way that can help them you know ensure long-term financial stability. There's obviously external factors at play. Um, but uh, I think this is one of those areas where clearly, the banks that are able to create this kind of relationship and show that they're invested in their own customers' long-term financial health is really important. So um, I think you know this is where we kind of start talking about what is customer satisfaction or versus happiness. Um, maybe the sometimes the customers who are the most financially secure sometimes seem the least quote unquote happy, which is maybe <laughs> one of those interesting dynamics. Um, but what's what's your take on on this, you know, and, and how customer or how banks should be thinking about their customers' financial health versus their quote unquote happiness. Sometimes doing the right thing here doesn't make you happy. Very true. Um, you know, I would say that I view customer happiness and even satisfaction under the context of trust. And I talked a little bit about this earlier, but when we start thinking about digital, And one of the things I shared is that mobile clearly is the primary channel where consumers interact um, with the banks the most. When it comes to trust, it's really about how you deliver on, you know, I would call it six key factors that influence a consumer's trust of a financial institution. And so when I think about this different factors that come into play around trust that drive satisfaction or happiness, as we talked about earlier, it's about security. It's about privacy, the reputation of a financial institution, how reliable they are, how easy it is to use their digital uh, banking capabilities, and their feature breadth. And so one of the things that we do every year is um, we do a survey on banking digital trust. And we go out and survey a little over um, 2,000 U.S. consumers to determine how banks how they perceive um, a bank's digital trustworthiness, and we really look at the top ten uh, U.S. banks across those six different dimensions. And so, one of the things that we found in this particular study is that digital trust really is essential to retaining customers and boosting revenues. And so, you know, while also giving banks an advantage over their non-bank rivals. So our survey shows that U.S. digital banking users with higher than average levels of digital trust are more satisfied and engaged with their bank. And as a result of that, they're more likely to open up their next account or product um, with their current bank than the, any other you know, digital banking users with below level trust. Um, we also know in this period of time that there are threats to retaining that type of trust and that incumbents are competing with heavy or tech savvy deep pocket rivals, um, you know, such as neobanks, big techs, or even uh, retail brands on digital experiences. And that there's a surge in new banking users has increased the potential for things like cybercrime, uh, breaches, and even PR disasters in some respect. So we know right now that banks must work really hard um, to be able to keep that trust advantage by defining some of the key areas across those six pillars that I mentioned earlier to improve trust. And if I were to share just kind of sort of the tidbits of that study and and of the six categories that I mentioned earlier, which ones are the most important? Security really was the top factor uh, for determining trust. And that, you know, the lingering effects of pandemic-related fraud, 
um, has only escalated concerns. We also know that privacy was the second most crucial factor in determining uh, trust in digital banking. And it will become the most important factor in the face of third-party cookie death and even tighter uh, regulation. And then the third one that I'll mention, um, again, in in order, is that um, reputation uh, affects digital trust in banking. So banks really need to find ways to cement improved customer sentiment. And really, as um, we enter, again, an environment where consumers are going to face financial hardship in some cases, you know, how do you maintain your reputation by demonstrating that you're doing not only what's right for, for your customers, but what's right for society? Yeah, no, that's that's a lot to unpack there. And I'm afraid we're kind of running out of time a little bit here. Um, and I want to just quickly get to sort of the, the last couple of questions here for the final two or three minutes, um, which really talk about kind of bringing this back into the real world. The reason we're talking about this, of course, happy customers are much more likely to stay customers. And much more likely to you know, build this long-term relationship. So um, really quickly, what would you say are the things that banks really need to be doing right now that maybe they didn't have to do even five years ago as a result of sort of this you know, economic uncertainty that we're facing at the moment? I think um, the biggest thing that financial institutions are going to have to do right now is to really break the mold and to find new products, services, and even experiences that consumers need the most. And to do that, it's going to be really important for them to keep an eye on competition. And we know that competition now increasingly includes, you know, competitors like big tech and even retail brands. And so really to look at the experience they deliver and where they might be embedding products and services. So, you know, given everything that's going on in the financial services ecosystem, it's going to be really important for financial institutions over the next few years to really understand how they're going to play in emerging touch points like embedded finance, uh, super apps, and even the metaverse. How about from the other side? How about from the fintech innovator side? What opportunities do you see for that group? Gosh, um, you know, I think the the fintechs are have, have a, robe, a, a rough road ahead. Um, we know that they've been a casualty of 2025, and that largely has to do with uh, funding drying up. And, you know, as a result of that, many of the fintechs seeing their evaluations um, fall. So some of them have, um, you know, been cut in half and worse. And we know that three most prominent players in the space, neobanks, uh, buy now, pay later, and even crypto firms are the ones that are probably sur- sur- suffering the most. Um, I, what I would say to them is, you know, really, at this point, it's, it's good to be grounded um, in reality. And to make sure that you really understand and that you recast what you think that your growth looks like. The second thing that I would say is, you know, really to carefully assess competition. Um, so, you know, competition isn't just other fintechs. Competition is also incumbent banks, um, neobanks, big techs, and retailers, as I mentioned earlier. And so it's really going to be about making sure that you are using the funding that you do have um, to make investments that create unique customer value. Yeah, and no, I think really you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there where clearly there's a moment where there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of competitors coming into the space. It's time for you know everybody to just sort of be maybe a little bit more cautious, be aware of all the different threats that are coming in, but at the same time, recognizing that there are a lot of opportunities here to 
come and do things which you know, can really make customers' lives better. And I think you know, this is one of the challenges that we have. Again, there is only so much that fintech can really do, but at the same time, those banks that excel here, those banks that keep the customer at the forefront um, and really give people the experience that they want, not just from this is a pleasant experience that I enjoy, but long-term, this is an experience which is going to bring me to financial health. I think it's going to be a very competitive space, but there will be some winners who come out of it. So mm -hmm. um, there's, there's obviously a lot more we could talk about, but I'm afraid we have to end it here. I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk through such a nebulous topic with me. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Tiffany. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you again uh, for inviting me to participate in the conversation today. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening.